Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee or iced coffee in the summertime. This is episode number 91. Today we are kicking off our 2021 Summer Book Club by discussing chapters 1 and 2 of Culturally Responsive Teaching in Music Education from Understanding to Application by Vicki R. Lynn and Constance L. McCoy. We'll also be playing some fun summer games, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying during our summer break. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So, since it is summertime officially, Carrie, we are yeah. um, going to switch some things up from what we normally do. For yep. our segments. We're going to do some summertime games. Game time! Yes, where, um, you know, this, this week will be me. Okay. Next episode will be you. Okay. And I just put together some very silly would-you-rather questions. Okie dokie. Okay. Some of these are very straightforward, easy. Some of them are, are you know, more thought-provoking. Oh, okay. man. Okay. Would you rather drink coffee from Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? I am a Starbucks fan. Yeah, me too. I mean, iced lattes from Dunkin' Donuts are good, but there's just more variety at You know what? I honestly, I think I've had coffee from Dunkin' Donuts like once or twice. That's oh, it. it's good. I wouldn't knock it. If I, I mean, go there, I want to eat donuts. Well, that is the other issue. <laughs> okay. That's Starbucks all the way. All right. Uh, would you rather teach only recorder or teach only ukulele? Ukulele. Um, if if you had to only, I'm gonna say ukulele. I knew you would. Shocking. Yeah. yeah, I just I really enjoyed teaching it this year, and maybe because it's still new to me, that it's still exciting and fun. Uh-huh. But I love the whole idea of like accompaniments rather than playing melodies. Yes, me too. I think that's just a really, and then you can also play melodies too. But yeah. But what are you thinking, Tanya? I would say the same because. Yeah. Um, Buy-in's a little bit easier, it seems, yeah. for ukulele. Yeah, I think so, too. I think and then we didn't even, excited. I don't know about you, but when I was teaching it, we didn't even venture into melodic playing. No, I didn't either. So, yeah. So, there's a whole, a whole new world. <laughs> there is. All right. Would you rather be able to speak all the languages ever or have the ability to speak to all animals? Languages, for sure. Yeah. I don't think animals would tell me much. No, they'd just be like, get away from me or feed me. <laughs> the other you're insulting the animals no i mean i think they would insult us yeah that's what i think yeah i think that if they had intelligent things to say and i'm not saying they don't yeah they wouldn't be telling me exactly we they don't we don't no i just the ability to be able to travel anywhere and be able to speak to all people i mean let alone students i mean just the whole thing would be fantastic yes it would that would be. be amazing all right would you rather listen to only old broadway tunes Oh. And when I say old, define I'm, okay. Yes, prior to 1990. Oh, so so we're talking Jesus Christ Superstar is still in. There. Oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> so we're talking Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. We're talking all of the um, you know the classics, Guys and Dolls, yeah. and South Pacific, and yeah, um, or only listen to Christmas music. But it can be any Christmas music. Well, yes. I mean, this is very. Would you rather listen oh. to only old Broadway music, old, old tunes, prior to, what did I say, 
That's hard. You say yours first. <laughs> Although I know the answer to yours is totally Broadway. It's yeah, totally. I mean, Broadway. that's not even a question. I'm for not you. a Christmas music on December first. I'm Chris. Well, no, I'm not a. Yeah, I I I stave off Christmas music until until it's really the Christmas. Season. I mean, I would be very very sad not to have Christmas music, but I guess if I could only have one or the other for always, it would have to be Broadway. Just because, yeah, I I don't think I can listen to Christmas music in February or March. It's just right. It's well, not my happen. my sister listens to the Rent soundtrack every Christmas. She considers considers it like part of her Christmas music. Oh well, there you go. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, you can, there are things in there. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, so, moving on. <laughs> going, going on, would you rather go to a randomly selected concert once a month, selected by someone else, or go to a concert of your choice for on, uh, only once a year? Who, but who is this person picking concerts for me? Some rando. Um, uh, the first one, then I guess I would want to go to concerts more. And who knows? Maybe it would be something that I would end up liking that I didn't know I liked. That's so good and open-minded of you. You're so not there. Um, I you know what? <laughs> if a band or an artist is coming and I don't get to go, I'm gonna not be happy about well, that. Well, that's true. So I think I'd put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah, I mean, you know? sadly, I feel like I really only go to a concert once a year, just because. Well, especially well lately, must not even count that. But. Well, before COVID, I had this whole like system of, okay, this band or artist or group or whatever is a school night. Must see. Must see. Like, yeah. I would see them on a school night. Right. Right? And then so, and then other artists would be like, eh, I would love to see them in concert, but not on a school night. For me, it's more about the money than the school night. I'd well, see anybody yeah. at a school night. <laughs> really? If I had them. Well, not anybody, but I'm saying, like, someone I wanted to see. It's just the money. That gets so expensive. Well, there is the money, too. Yeah. But, but like, only having, like, five hours of sleep. I can function. I I have troubles. Yeah, I know. You, you have headache issues. I do. Okay. Would you rather have more money or more time? This is a very telling question. I, I mean, money. Really? I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I manage my time very well. That's something that I pride myself in. So, yeah, I would say money. <laughs> just because I really love to travel and go to concerts, and I just want more money to do those things. Mm. I don't need a fancy wardrobe. I just want to be able to, like... Yeah, travel. That's my big thing. I really want to do more of. Oh yeah. So money, and well, I'll what find if the time. The more money took up your time. Oh, well, that's not part of the question, Tanya. Okay, you're right. Um, <laughs> I think I'd probably rather have more time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Would you rather drink coffee black for a year or drink coffee with artificial sweetener for a year? Oh, that's very sad of me, but I will say artificial sweetener. Really? I just can't drink black coffee. I don't, I'm such a whim. I, I don't really like black coffee, but oh my goodness, I cannot tolerate the artificial sweetener. Well, I I'm tried a Diet for Coke it. drinker, so oh. I, I, it doesn't, yeah. So sadly. Splenda? Or, well, or, yeah. yeah, it's not great, but if I had to, one or the other. Okay. Okay. Would you rather live in space or under the sea? Oh, both of those terrify me. I know, me too. I don't like this question at all. I mean, I guess under the Let's sea. Let's just say that you don't have any fear of heights or fear of depths. Okay, then under the sea. It's it's enclosed spaces. That's what freaks me out. Oh, so well, either you're way, you're have living to be... in an enclosed space. <laughs> I'm to see though, because at that. least it would. I think it would be. Well, I guess they would both be very scenic <laughs> in different ways. But, but yeah, it would be. At least you get to see animals and creatures under the sea that yeah. don't want to talk to me. <laughs> There what you about go. you? Um, I just finished reading The Martian. Oh. And 
I mean, it's it's such a great book. It's so fascinating, but also there's lots in there that I was like, what's going on? It was so technical. There was a lot of technical things. Um, So it was a little harrowing, but it was kind of like fascinating. No, I'm not. You know, have I? No, I'm not going. I'm not going to outer space. Okay, I'm okay with that. I've settled up with that. So under the sea is your answer? No, actually, I'd rather. I think it'd be more fascinating to be in space. Because it's so different. Yeah, I tried scuba diving once, and um, I've never had such a panic attack. Yeah. I don't like not being able to speak. Oh. Well, see, I'm assuming I'm in some sort of, like, submarine or something where I can speak. Okay. If we can speak. (laughs) See, that's how I calm myself is by vocalizing. I do the same thing, yeah. Talking. And I sing. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll sing arias that I know from college and, and just to, to yeah. calm my nerves. And mm. when that's taken away from me, um, that's yeah, interesting. then All right. it's terrifying. Well, I'm not like, thinking too much into the details. I'm just really terrified of space. Okay. Like that movie Gravity. Oh, my gosh. I could barely handle it. With the yeah, Sandra yeah, that, movie. Yeah, that was hard. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Craig just made me watch um, A Quiet Place. Oh, no. Well, that's <laughs> a whole new level of terrifying. <laughs> Talking about not being able not to speak. Not being able to speak. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I, it was, I didn't, I, I didn't really watch, watch it. I kind of, like, worked on something on my laptop and glanced up every once in a while and went, mm, nope. Not. I can't do those kind of movies. I yeah. can do, like, bloody, gory stuff before I can do that psychological Well, there wasn't stuff. any gore, but there was some slimy bits. Well, yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> slimy bits. There was some, spoiler, there was some aliens with slimy, Oh, you know, see, bits. aliens, space, it's all terrifying. <laughs> they weren't in space, though. They were. They no, came no. from there, didn't they, they? They did, they did. There we go. Sorry if I ruined the movie for you, but I, you probably <laughs> got that part. All right, and the last one. Oh, my. Um, would you rather have the ability to switch your emotions on and off or be able to grasp any written material just by smelling the words? <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> I don't understand the second part of the question. <laughs> Grasp any written material just by... What do you mean? You like, can grok it. You can totally... You, you you know, you, you get a law book. You oh. smell the words and you get it. No. I, I guess the first one then. You'd rather switch your emotions on and off. Like, ooh, I'm enraged. But no, I'm not. Yeah. I think so. I think that would come in handy. Stupidly happy right now. Yeah, what am I thinking of? There's a book where they switch their emotions on and off. Isn't there like a vampire that does this? I don't know. Oh, no, it's from that horrible Vampire Diaries TV show. Oh. They can switch their emotions on and off. I say horrible, even though I watched it. (laughs) So (laughs) it's one of my guilty pleasures. Um, Sorry, that's a tangent. Wow. Okay. Switching emotions on and off. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I think I can be in charge of my emotions, and I'd like to smell things and <laughs> just be able to. Would they smell different? That's what I want to know. The different types of books that yeah. you're reading. Do you think people with synesthesia, any of them can smell the written word? That's a great question. I doubt it. Somebody tell us. And if it's on tech, does that matter? Hmm. I mm. think so. I like the smell and feel of books. Yes, I do too. Yeah, I'd rather understand and Nice. That's an interesting question. I guess I'm just assuming that if I read it, I could still understand it. It's just a time saver. Well, yeah, it's a huge time saver. And what if you read it and you don't understand it? Well, this is true. Like like I said, I just finished The Martian, and there were several passages, 
especially since I read it right before bedtime. I'm like, oh uh-huh. my goodness, what's going on? <laughs> what buttons did they what push? What did he have to hook up and, yeah. and like cover the whole of the what for why? Okay. With what? I see where you're coming from. I'm still going to go with emotions. So. Okay, good. Good for you. You're right. a vampire. <laughs> good questions, Tanya. Okay, thanks. So for our main theme, we are kicking off our summer book club for 2021, and this summer we are reading Culturally Responsive Teaching in Music Education, From Understanding to Application by Vicki R. Lind and Constance L. McCoy, and I just checked today, uh, today would be, we're recording on June 13th, and it was available at West Music. So if you want to not listen before you read, pause, get on West Music, order your book, and then listen later after you've read yeah, chapters one and two. Yeah, we're not responsible for spoilers. No, and and we we this is probably just worth saying that the purpose of this book club is well, it's it's a little selfish on our part because we always choose books that we want to read. Well, and, of course, yeah, and that we can discuss together. But we certainly would never say that this can or should ever replace reading the book yourself. No, no, we're no. We're not going to give you the full thing. We're going to just kind of give a couple of our takeaways. There's also some discussion um, yes. questions at the end of each chapter. And so if you're please... not reading it, hopefully something that we discuss will entice you to yeah. pick it up and read it. Personally, I know that I understand things best when I'm able to talk them through with somebody else. And I know a lot of people are like that. Yes. And so really it's me. This is my professional development this year. Um and yeah, I'm yeah. really interested in getting into this and and understanding it with somebody else. And I really like how it's laid out because the title of From Understanding to Application, it's very clear that the first half of the book is going to be the understanding. Yes. And then the second half, um, I'm not sure how specifically the application is going to be because I've not really looked ahead, but... Oh, hey, it looks like it's going to... Now I'm flipping through as we're speaking. No, spoilers. No, No, I'm excited about that. And and anyone who's read this book has recommended to us and said it's an excellent resource, and so we're excited to dive in. Right. um, And just uh, a few other details as far as book club goes. Um, After each episode, though after this one drops, we will be posting some interactive things on Instagram and Facebook. And so if you're reading along with us, we will hope that you might interact with us by answering some of those questions and giving your input into the questions that we pose there. And then when we are finished with all of the episodes, there will be a, well, we said Zoom, but we might have to rethink that. Um, We have to find a new (laughs) platform. We're going to figure out some way to do some sort of thing where you can log in and we're actually going to have like just one book club session where we're actually going to be there live and in person and you can join us and be a part of the discussion and we'll do that at the conclusion of the book club. So we'll announce all those details later. Yeah. Well, so we're going to break, we're going to talk about chapter one right now specifically and it's in, it's titled culture education and culturally responsive teaching and it kind of gives an overview and definition of what what is culture mm-hmm. and where we are um, in this point of education and culture and specifically it uses a um, definition from Hidalgo Hidalgo what I don't know his first name Hidalgo um, yeah and describing culture as having three levels concrete behavioral and symbolic which 
I really appreciated the three different levels. And yeah. so we're going to kind of dive into how that translates like in the music room. Right. And how that helps or hinders um, kids, students going through education in the United States. And here I keep thinking about this, Carrie, because it's just going to come up that we can't not be political. Well, yes, and um, I refer to that in this book that that teaching is, is a political, a political act. act and it's a cultural act. Yeah, and, and I never there's no way to avoid that. Yeah, and I'm never able to um, articulate that well, but I am always like amazed on Facebook um, discussions or just talking to colleagues when they say, you know what, just keep your head down and do your job, and you don't have to be political at all. And the act of teaching, just stepping into that classroom. And putting yourself in that position is a political act, not to mention, you know, choosing repertoire and how you set up a classroom um, culture. And but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So (laughs) no, that's good to say from the get go. And, you know, it's important to recognize with a book like this, like these are going to be some challenging conversations. Mm -hmm. And Tanya and I coming from our place as white females, you know, coming from that position of privilege, we might not get everything right that we want to get right we might not use the words that we necessarily want to use all the time we might make mistakes and missteps along the way that's not excusing anything but I just wanted to put out there that where we're coming from and that people coming from a different culture or a different background or different knowledge are going to have completely different takeaways from this book yeah and we're going to have and and we welcome any challenging yes we do you know statements about things that we discuss in the book okay so it's very tidy because at the end of each chapter, several questions for discussion are posed. And yes. We picked, we're not going to talk all of them. No, we each picked one. Mm-hmm. So I picked the very first question. So I'm just going to read it here. When you encounter other cultures, which of Hidalgo's three levels of culture do you use in understanding that culture? Is the level you use different from the level you would want others to use in understanding you culturally? If so, what might account for the difference? Well, I think so that's, that's a kind lot. of a, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's extremely easy to say that I know mostly I in, encounter the concrete, the surface level. Of course. Foods at festivals. Yeah, Foods, exactly. festivals, um, clothing, mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like as teachers, we see a little bit of the behavioral if you are, especially if you are in a school community for a long enough time that you start to really become, you know, aware, deep, deep, more deeply aware of some of the behavioral things and some of the social things going on um, with a, with a culture that's different than your own, but that takes time. Totally. Especially I feel like as a music teacher and, and this again, isn't excusing ourselves, but we just have a different position than a classroom teacher who gets to know the families and gets to know um, the inner workings of the students' lives faster than we do as quote-unquote specialists right right but yeah the the the, uh symbolic level that's very difficult to get to and depending on the cultural it might not be something that we're even privy to which is something we have to be sensitive to as well correct oh yeah 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 um yeah so i'm looking at some of the things i highlighted and i wanted to read something on page nine in the middle of the page Um, Another essential characteristic of culture is that it it is influenced 
by a variety of factors and thus is constantly evolving. Oh, yes. And I'm thinking, I've been listening to a lot of political radio lately mm-hmm. um, and podcasts and stuff, and I'm just thinking about how much culture um, has changed and morphed um, just as a result of the last few years, you know. Yeah. Politically, but also um, just in our society. Yeah. Right? Um, some of the things that used to be constants in our our lives, especially with COVID, were kind of upended, and now we're kind of um, redefining things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and things that have been going on politically. I mean, I work with, I've always worked with large populations of Latin and Hispanic students, and for me, seeing the difference in how my kiddos are reacting to things in the news and reacting to things going on has changed depending on the political atmosphere. And that's been really interesting to watch as well. All right. Well, what question did you pick out, Tanya? Oh, Um, wait, we didn't answer the second half. Yes, exactly. Is the level you use when you encounter other cultures, when you notice something or things, um, is the level you use different from the level you would want others to use in understanding you culturally? If so, what might account for the difference? Um, You know what? I have to say this is something I've never considered because I'm part of the dominant culture. And I had the same thought. I was like, oh, I've never considered how people are viewing me culturally, which that's coming from a place of privilege, I'm sure. It definitely is. But I have to say um, there's, you know, just two areas, being a woman sometimes. And definitely I've noticed being older. Yeah. That I have those um, noticings. Right. You know, about ageism or or just, you know, being viewed a certain way because I'm over 50. Yeah. But that's that's nothing compared to what others have. So, yeah, what level would you want people to use? I mean, I guess it goes so far to say if we're going all the way to that symbolic level, which is showing your, your values and beliefs and, you know, how we define ourselves in that very core way. I don't necessarily need people to understand that about me in every way, but I just want the people to respect that I might feel differently than other people. You know, like, mm-hmm. I just want you to respect that this is where I'm coming from and this is what I believe. And it might be different than you, but we can still come to some level of agreement, understanding, and we can coexist in this world, right? Well, that, I mean, that's, that sounds great, but <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what if what you believe is not just in direct contact. I'm just playing devil's advocate. No, I hear you. Not just in direct contrast with somebody else, but offends someone else's Offend. core well, beliefs. Well, right. Right? I know. Then and that's this is the whole where it gets tricky. problem, right? Right. I don't know the answer to this question. Other than, um, I guess I choose to not surround myself, at least close on a close level, with people who are not willing to understand my belief system and vice versa, if that makes sense. There, I mean, I've had to cut people out of my life is what I'm saying. All right. Would you be comfortable giving I, – I can give a specific example. Yeah. I, do okay. you want to give a, a specific example? Well, you have one in mind, so go ahead. <laughs> this um, is where we said we were going to get uncomfortable, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I, uh, during college – I had a couple of friends, actually. Um, So, okay, I grew up, uh, my parents were both from Louisiana 
and both Catholics mm-hmm. and went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. I came from a very large, well, my mom came from a very large Catholic family. My dad came from a strong Catholic family, not very large at all. Both of my parents, when they moved to Colorado, they decided they were done with Catholicism mm-hmm. and they were, they were just done. Yeah. Um, but growing up, my mom did take us to church on Easter and Christmas because Catholic guilt, I think, doesn't ever die. <laughs> um, anyway, but in high school and college, you know, I went through a lot of questioning and I decided that I really didn't want any part of Christianity as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I did have, uh, being a singer, being a vocalist in college, I did have a couple of friends who cut me off mm. because um, I was not a Christian. Right. So that's a very, you know, vulnerable thing to share, but there you go. Yeah. So like, um, and it's not that I have a lack of beliefs. It's that my beliefs don't, um, fall within Christianity. Right. Right. That's all. No. And, and the other part of of that bit is that they're personal to me and I'm not going to be sharing them. Well, right. And that's, I think that's what I was trying to say too, is like how, who I choose to open that world to. Yeah. And, and who I choose to share those deep beliefs with, I'm, you know. Right. So, I mean, and that was an unfortunate thing because like here I had people who I considered close friends who were just like, well, if you can't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I can't have anything to do with you. Right. Which, you know, I thought was going against that whole like, you, I'm respecting your beliefs. Yeah. I want to be good. I, I'm cool being besties with you and you've got these things that I don't agree with and yet you can't meet me. Yes. There. So there's that. Right. All right. We should move on to the next question. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you chose Tanya from yes. chapter one. What did I choose? Okay, I'm sorry. sorry I'm looking here. at what it. Kinds? Oh, what kinds of situations might qual- qualify as barriers to equitable access in music education? Oh my goodness, so many things. Yeah. Well, if I was teaching instrumental music, I think the the immediate thing you think about is instrument riddle and you know access to private lessons. I know that there are schools just even in a district close to where I live where all the kids who are playing in orchestra are really strongly push towards taking private lessons right and they're in a community where most of them can yep right yeah and i think about even the the offerings that are given and again this isn't getting us off the hook as elementary people but i mean for secondary people the the whole challenge of you know you've got choir you've got band you've got orchestra and they're all so deeply rooted in European white traditions, mm-hmm. you know, where are the, you know, the different ensembles that reflect the student populations. And I know there's, there's been a big push for that. And it talks about that in this book, this push towards quote unquote world music, um, and how that came about, you know, historically in the sixties the and seventies, but we still have so far to go. Well, and even in the last few years, that term world music is like under fire. Right. And the term multicultural has been under fire for oh. a, a little while now. Because yeah, what does it mean? It's not like a box you check, right? Well, yeah, and it also signifies other, other, not yes. the norm, yes. right? Yes. So when we're talking about the dominant culture, we just call that normal, right? right? And right. when we talk about other cultures, it's other, it's world, it's yeah. multi. And uh, yeah, it's not it's not the best paradigm to work under. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as far as in the elementary world, I mean, it's interesting having always worked in Title I schools that because of the way funding works, I've actually always, as far as materials and budget goes, I feel like I've been able to 
to provide things for my students. Where I have a harder time is in what my principal at my, my second school calls uh, quote unquote bubble school, where you're not in that title one distinction, but you have, you know, maybe 40 to 45% free and reduced lunch, but we don't get all the funding to support those students. Right. So you get those schools where you're kind of caught in the middle, right? You don't have a super huge, amazing, amazing PTA, but you're also not getting funding from title one schools. So you're kind of left in the lurch when it comes to funding and, you know, being able to provide things for the students in a tangible way. Right. And also that brings up when we're talking about situations that that are barriers, if we keep treating music as an extra, as a let you can show up after school and be in choir, you can show up before school and be in band, then we're cutting off a lot of the population. And that's a oh, huge yeah. barrier. And And this is something that needs to be solved, like within districts. Yeah. Is that it's equitable across right. the if board. There's a fee-based structure or transportation issues. Mm-hmm. Kids who can't do after-school things because they have to catch the bus. Right. I have and had students who. I mean, you even think school. about high school and kids who can't do after-school things because they are holding down a job. Yeah, they have to go work. Yeah. Right. So I mean, those situations—they're, yeah, they're heartbreaking. But it, it really is annoying that we have not, even though in name we have, we haven't fully accepted the arts as part of the core curriculum in our American schools. And it needs to be better. Yeah. Yeah. So chapter two is called Understanding How Culture Informs the Development of Teachers. And this really, um, there were different focuses, foci, is that how you say it? In this chapter, um, how pre-service and in-service teachers, how cultural backgrounds influence Um, their development as teachers. I mean, all of us all the time. Um, It talked a lot about cultural competence and then how that relates to culturally responsive teaching. And then there is also a section about how cultural competence and racial ethnic awareness, I'm just reading from the book now, can be acquired and fostered in pre-service music teachers to increase instructional effectiveness in culturally diverse educational settings. You know, and, and I mean, it was talking a lot about Again, pre-service teachers and things, but I think but they all talk, of but, us But there are some there. quotes in here about in-service teachers oh, yeah, that we need to yeah, talk, yeah, we need to I break mean, down. The point they, being, we're, we're not off the hook. <laughs> no, well, and here's the thing that I really want to drive home, and I don't know, like, I don't know what the answer is, but I think I know what some of the problems are. I think that uh, colleges and universities, I don't think the teacher training has evolved much. I mean, I think since I was in school, I think it has some, I mean, based on the things I was reading in this chapter, they were talking about some specific, you know, initiatives and things that have happened. um, Okay, I take it back. I can think of specific examples and specific um, professors that I know that are doing, you know, have have changed a lot of things and they're doing a fantastic job of bringing awareness to all the all the things in chapter two yeah I guess I'm just thinking about my experiences specifically oh I know and I felt I well I felt like I I feel like I'm doing a lot of unlearning yes oh totally from my under I mean of course it was a very long time ago people so I get it but (laughs) uh yeah I think that there's some unlearning that has to happen well I mean we could just talk about just um classical music right and this idea of classical music and the white european classic music being the overarching example of the top of the 
you know, excellent music. Right. Right. I mean, that's huge. Well, and even in our Kodai-inspired world, well, what folk music is and American yeah, folk well, music and, and what that has limited itself to. And, yeah, that's probably... There is a lot there. Itself. Yeah. yeah, so chapter two, I thought, we're really, we're really getting into it. And I was imagining that some people might have some, a lot of problems with chapter two because... <laughs> Like, it's, it's great that the authors put it out there, and I'm going to read well, a quote, right? Can I read oh, a quote? Yeah, uh, you read a quote. I was going to read a quote, too. Okay. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead. Why well, I was go going to read the one on page 27. Is that what you're going to read? That's what I was going to read. Okay, good. Go. Okay. <laughs> the majority of in-service music teachers say they believe in the importance of multicultural music education and teaching music in a culturally responsive way, yet... Their curricula and teaching practices don't always reflect an understanding of what that might look like. All right, so I want to talk like I want to talk in favor of that and against that. All okay. right. Yep. So my my knee jerk um, against that was like, well, let's help them, or and um, they are not being given right. that right. training that they're not be gi- being given. They meaning me, right. you know, and you, in-service music teachers, you know, when you change the whole game, not change, okay, when you shed light on things that need to change and you already have all these teachers who already are tired and yeah. working hard in teaching the way they've been teaching, mm-hmm. you know, with some changes here and there, like, I understand why. They not, don't change to that because not just teaching the way they've been teaching, teaching the way they were taught. Teaching it's the exactly. cycle, right? Yeah, it's this cycle. So, on the one hand, I want to defend us and say, "Hey, you know, I, I feel like I examine my own teaching, um, and uh, quite a bit, and yet I'm still not doing enough." Right. Right. So I can totally understand someone who is within their last five to seven years of teaching, who's like. Oh my goodness, I have given my life and mm-hmm. I'm broken down. And Especially this year. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. year has really, really just, yeah, it's exhausted all of all, right. all of us. But this is why we're looking forward to the second half of the book where it talks about well, the application. Yeah. So then my other thoughts on this, my like, my, I'm thinking about teachers in our own district and I always want to go, why are you not showing up for yeah. our in-services? Yes. Why are you not showing up for professional development? Yeah. Where were you at our last, you know, fill in the blank code I, or if Delcro's state conference, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know there's all kinds of reasons because, you know, people have lives, but... At the same time, I, I kind of want to say there's stuff there for us to dig into. We need to take the time and effort. Yeah. And I'm still tired. I know. I know. And I remember, there's always going to be teachers out there who just kind of phone it in. We know those teachers. We, <laughs> I mean, everyone knows those teachers. And I'm not trying to dog on teachers as a profession, but I think we just know there's, there's so much work that needs to be done yeah. outside of just, you know... I'm planning my lesson for tomorrow. I grade my kids. I put my grades in the grade book and I call it a day. Like that's not, that's not the goal here. Well, it is a fine line to walk. It is because you also can't burn yourself out and you can't be a martyr. So, all right. Well then on that cheerful note, let's, (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I really appreciated this whole section talking about cultural competence and mm-hmm. kind of, of ways to get there. And I mean, I really think of that as a journey that, you know, it's not a box you check. It's something that we're, we're going to keep working on. It's, and breaking it down into, you know, being aware of our own assumptions, values, and biases, understanding how uh, different students learn, and then coming up with, not coming up with, but learning and implementing those concrete instructional strategies that are going to help us get there. Um, You know, I feel like I've been on a path with the first two of those, getting there, but it's that third one that I'm just like, okay, now what? What do I do? Somebody can, you know, I, I need some help for coming up with some tools. So that's what I'm hoping to learn more of. Well, exactly. And yeah, yeah, like we were saying, we're going to get more specific in the second half of the book. Yeah. Um, and then, so we, we wanted, wanted to, to get to this checklist. I not wanted checklist. to get to... That's, that's not what I meant. List, bullet points, yes. principles. So on page 34, and... There is a lot of talk about, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I was looking at the cultural different, understanding culturally different learners. There's a, This is really um, very, there's a lot in here and there's a lot of places you could read like, you know, several of the articles and books that would accompany this really well. In oh just these yeah, few, there were a couple that I When we talk about assumptions and values and biases and I, I'm, I'm disheartened, honestly, at how uh, the United States mentality is right now at this moment. Yeah. And that we seem to be very, very um, divided and that it seems like everybody's doubling down. Right. On their beliefs about, um, about race, about culture. And so that's why, like, at one point I would have looked at this checklist on page 34 and at one point, I maybe like even a year, a year and a half ago, I, I would have said, oh, okay, well, I think most people can accept all of these things, but now I'm not sure at all. So anyway, on, on the top of page 34, it says, we believe that teachers can develop a firm foundation based on the following principles. And I'm going to read each one of these principles, and we're going to talk a little bit about right. like where we're at. Okay. Okay. Um, number one, no culture is better than another, nor is one way of knowing right or wrong. See, right away. I say I'm so divisive. I'm fine with that, but I know that there's been a push in our country for people uh, to hold up the United States as special and unique and winning. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. If that's where your head's at, then this is not going to work for you. Right. But to push back on that. If you have students who are in your classroom who feel that way and that's their way of thinking, can we tell them that their way of thinking is wrong? Well, no. Because if that's their culture in, in, in their home. Right. Well, so, so that's, that's the whole idea. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if what you are expecting in your classroom goes against what is expected at home. You know, I mean, it. I guess it depends on how important is it to push. But that doesn't mean that your whole way of knowing or your whole culture is right or wrong. Right. I think it you might just have just to take be it back. What if new information? Yeah. So, yeah. like when I taught um, at the Little Mountain School and I had middle schoolers, um, and this isn't about the middle schoolers. This is just about the whole population. Everyone came in wearing hats all the time. Oh, right. And I was going to push back against that. I tried. Yeah. 
a little bit because right. I've always just been like, we don't wear hats inside. Right. This is a thing, you know, and uh, this is me holding on to a silly tradition. Right. That's that, part of That's just part of my culture, upbringing. It's part of bias. my culture. Mm-hmm. Like, and how important is that? Well, it wasn't important enough for me to um, alienate an entire school. Well, right, right. So, so you know. So it was you had to do new learning. Yeah. Rather than the But that's, that's a small thing. Right. Right. But when we talk about no culture is better than another, like right away, that seems like, I, I mean, I don't know. I think there's teachers who are going to have issue with that. Well, but here's the thing, Tanya. We can't control what other I... teachers are thinking. And if there's teachers who are listening right now and aren't happy with us. Oh, they can... turned us off before That's fine. Like, before this, we so. can only control our own behaviors and hope to inspire others to do some thinking. That's okay. all. Okay. So another principle. Um, culture is complex. For most of us, a superficial definition of culture is insufficient to characterize our humanity. We do not necessarily belong to a single cultural group though we may self-identify with one or two. I I have to ponder that a lot more. I mean, I understand that the, the, the main idea here about culture is complex, and I think, you know, in, you know, this American society that we're in, where we're getting lots of cross-culture, I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, well, there's intersectionality. Yeah, yeah. Going on, yeah. Um Culture is complex. Well, go. yeah, and I think, I mean, a big thing of that is, well, it, it's going to talk about it later, so keep going. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number three, we are all unique. We reflect our cultural heritage, but are influenced by a myriad of factors. Well, there, yeah, this is what I was going to say. You know, you're not, just because um, you are a part of a, you know, cultural group or a specific race doesn't mean that you believe every single thing and go along with every single thing. I mean, we're not, what's the word I'm looking for? We're not... I can't come up with the word I'm looking for. Monolith. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Summer brain. There we go. Okay. Uh, Stereotypes do little to help understand the students in our classroom and can interfere with our ability to understand each student's unique perspective. That, that, that is very true and very challenging. It is very true. Because I know. It's our human nature to stereotype. Well, it's a knee-jerk, you know, based on upbringing, based on on our experiences. Stereotypes, they, they pop. I know I've been more aware of them. Um, that yeah, they'll pop. They'll just pop in. There. Oh yeah. And you yeah. got to examine that. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. All right. Uh, by referring to quote different end quote cultures, we acknowledge that there are ways of perceiving, knowing, and being that are different from our own. We understand quote different end quote, does not mean, quote, better than, end quote, or, quote, worse than, end quote. You know, that seems like such a simple thing, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that you've known people, <laughs> uh, and, and not just, you know, adults, but even students or, or kids who um, even have a hard time acknowledging that there's something that they haven't heard of before. Right, right. You know, I mean, even if something as simple as, like, you you play a specific artist in the music room and they're like who's this well i've never heard of them yeah meaning that what they don't exist right right exactly (laughs) oh sorry no you're fine um yeah and it's that idea of you know othering um and by doing that you are putting yourself up in a different level and yeah yeah so i mean it's just again saying different doesn't mean worse different doesn't mean bad 
All right. Uh, number six, diversity is an asset, something to be valued. See, that's another thing that I think in our country, in our country, is not being recognized. Yeah, I agree. And I yeah, yeah. something that um, my school did. My I think it was my first year. I was there. We did like a family night, and and we did you know a poll of families and parents, and we we attempted to <laughs> find out every country or you know geographical or racial background, national background of our students and their families, and we hung up flags in the cafeteria representing every student in some way, ah. and, and that was a it was a huge task to try to get that done. But it was really important. We wanted to our students, to, and and every flag was equal sized and of equal prominence, and we wanted our students to be proud. Of How where did they, come they from. respond? Um, I'm gonna be honest. It was my first year there, so I don't really know. <laughs> I was kind of I <laughs> like I don't have anything, Well, I didn't have anything to compare it to. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I mean, I felt like the staff was pleased with it, and and I, I mean, I liked it. I liked walking into our cafeteria and seeing all these flags. I thought that was a really cool thing, and I, I they were up all year. So I feel like I hope that students. I I just I would I didn't interact with students enough to know. I guess right, but. That's just an interesting thing. No, that is. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, Number seven, culture is not static. We are all products of our heritage, circumstances, and experiences. Over time, we all change and adapt. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, by reading all these things, I'm not – let's let's be clear that these are things we're thinking about and also questioning. It's not just like, I'm going to read this book and I agree with everything. Right. But just the – this – this specific list that they lay it out that you got to accept this to to come along with the idea of culturally responsive teaching. I think right, it's just right. Um, to develop that cultural competency. Yeah. These are things that that one must should ponder. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last one, number eight, historical and sociopolitical factors have influenced the structure of schooling and continue to impact our work as teachers. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's some big, like, well, does, but even this chapter, I mean, goes through some specific examples of disenfranchisement that just hit me again, and, you know, a, an excellent reminder of, you know, where we've been and, and why things are still the way they are. Yeah. And as much as we can say that, well, it's free public education, all things are equal for all students at all times. Well, sure, the, the education is public, but what what is the education? The education is from the dominant culture. So Exactly. You know. And the systems that it, that exist, you know, and, and how we've gotten to this point. It's to to deny those those historical facts or well, right, and like I don't know if you were. I was very struck by this quote um, about Native Americans and about how you know they were forced to cut their hair, which is a very sacred, mm-hmm. you know, on uh, for for all for most Native Americans, as far as I know, that it's a, a very sacred thing is is hair and how one wears it and how they were expected to assimilate, right? And then where's the quote? I know that you read this too, um, but well, just that assimilation does not equal equality. The the forced assimilation. Yeah. Assimilation. Oh, but uh, okay. On on page thirty two, uh, a great general has said that the only oh. good Indian is a dead one, and that high sanction of his destruction has been an enor- enormous factor in promoting Indian re- massacres. In a sense, I agree with the sentiment, but only to this: that all Indian 
there is in the race should be dead. Kill the Indian in him, but save and save the man. That's wow. And just for context, that is a quote um, of Captain Richard yes, R. Pratt, sorry. founder of the Carlisle Barracks. Yeah. So what we're saying is like, let's take this human and assimilate them mm-hmm. and strip them of of their culture, their heritage. Yeah. And you know, this is. It's not, people don't say things as brutally as that anymore. However, yeah, you know, we, we do have a system that does elevate some cultures over others. Absolutely. That's, I don't think that and, anyone can, well, you can argue with me, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but again, the, the big focus of this chapter is providing all of this background knowledge and all of this information so that we can come up with actionable things, right? I mean, the quote that I highlighted on the bottom of page 34, it is not enough to reflect on our own learning and to explore different ways of knowing. We must act upon what we learn. Right. So this is where Well, and that's back to the whole, stuck, like, but... teachers say it's all a good idea, but what are they doing? You exactly. Know? And so that's exactly right. Um, there's another thing I wanted to bring up in the middle of page 34. Uh, in order to develop culturally responsive teaching strategies, teachers must critically examine all aspects of teaching and learning, including content, oh, and that, that's huge mm-hmm. in the Kodai world, um, process, and classroom environment while considering the individual needs of their students. And I added in there, what about developmentally? Right. Appropriateness. That is true. Because that's another whole thing, because it's going to be very different in a first grade classroom true. into a you know classroom full of high schoolers. Yeah. And I also just wanted to to mention, like, I see pushback sometimes on social media towards different, you know, questions of, of equity and diversity about, well, I'm just here to teach the kids and I'm not here about that. I just want to teach the kids music. Well, I think this is what I'm pushing back against. Right. I'm like, well, you're, you're blind to not understand. Well, but to me, page 35 then speaks directly about what we as music educators need to think about. So it says, cultural competence is particularly salient for music educators because music and culture are intimately connected. I highlighted that too. Yes. And so I think it's just really important that, you know, we're not just teaching kids music. There is more to it because our music reflects our culture and our music provides. And I, I would always forget who, you know, talked originally about this idea of the the windows and the mirrors we need to provide provide our students those mirrors to see their own culture within music and we also need to provide our students with windows to see other cultures right. oh, and music. this is why we value music i mean this is why music is included in education exactly is because of its connection to culture yeah yeah so we didn't talk about any of the specific questions because we really wanted to dive into that list but we might put some of the questions in chapter two well up for discussion i thought our, you did oh, oh did you still want to talk about the other one um, well, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit, and you you kind of answered this, and I'm sorry because this is not something we talked about. What strategies can you employ to develop cultural competence? Well, that list. <laughs> I mean, okay, so what strategies? I mean, for okay. me, it's it's doing what we're doing now. It's reading. It's it's reading articles. It's, it's reading talking books. Through it. it's, it's talking yeah. through. It's listening to people who know much more than me, which is a lot, obviously. Um, and and just trying to to always be on that trajectory of trying to learn and grow, and not just saying I'm going to keep doing things the way that I've that I've always done done things yeah i would also say that it's investigating 
when you don't understand something coming from yeah. a specific group of people. Right. I mean, if it is something that is noticeable within a culture. Like, right. you were talking off mic about eye contact. Oh, eye contact, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's something that came up, because for me, just for the longest time, I would always, if I was having a one-on-one with a student about whatever, and they weren't looking at me, it would it would really upset me, and then, you know, I would say, I need you to look at me so I know you're listening, and, you know, later on I heard that, you know, in the culture of this student that I was speaking to, it's not appropriate to give eye contact, because that's considered disrespectful right. to your elders. It's like, oh my gosh, I had thought of that before and that definitely changed the way that I was thinking so yes thank you for reminding me that I wanted to talk about that well yeah no I was just thinking about all these things that we you don't know until you know exactly so if you're not and to not make assumptions or stereotypes if you're trying to yeah if you're trying to communicate with with someone and it's not going well you might look into okay well where are they coming from or, yeah. or what's going oh, on? Oh, another example I think of a lot is um, I have a lot of students who, who have said, called me and other teachers, Miss. Uh-huh. Hey, Miss. Hey, Miss. And it really kind of grated on my nerves originally, and I hear other teachers that it sounds maybe flippant or disrespectful yes. at first, but then when you think about the Spanish language and you think about that it is extremely polite and respectful to call your teacher senora or maestra or maestro which is just saying teacher or miss or missus Mm -hmm. and that there isn't like it's 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 that translation that gets lost in translation right and that knowing the context behind it that that wasn't meant to be disrespectful in fact it was quite the opposite so that's something that I've also not like I used to correct students and say Mrs. Nicholas call me by my my full name please Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't do that because I realized it's taken me a while but I came to realize that that's not where that student was coming from exactly And now it's time for our CODA section, where we share something that we've been enjoying during our glorious summer of whatever R&R. so far. Whatever so far. <laughs> yeah. Now, we could talk about go uh, see in the Heights, but you probably already did that. And it's amazing, isn't it? But you're... I'm seeing it tomorrow. Okay, I saw it yesterday. Ugh, so. <laughs> I'm so irritated. I was, I was on vacation, and I was coming home, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm seeing it tomorrow. Okay, so that's not I'm my very coda. Excited. But what is yours? Okay, so I'm going to recommend an album. It's not new. It's from 2018, but it's been like a lovely little soundtrack to the beginning of summer for me. So it's a, a super group called I'm With Her, and it consists of three amazing uh, bluegrass artists, Sarah Giroux, Aoife O'Donovan and Sarah Watkins. So Sarah Watkins is from uh, Nickel Creek and Aoife O'Donovan is from Crooked Still, which are great bluegrass bands. And then Sarah Jarose is just a rock star on her own. And they come together and they make this amazing band. And so um, this particular album is called See You Around. And again, it's from 2018 and it's just lovely, acoustic, but great vibe, female power, just really enjoying this album. Cool. I've listened to it a lot lately. That's great. Yeah. All right, Tanya, how about you? Well, I'm going to talk books, 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 because okay. I'm trying to read a lot of books, um, and I couldn't decide, so I'm going to mention two. Okay. All right, uh, The Traveling Cat Chronicles, which is a uh, uh, novel that was originally in Japanese. It's by Hiro Arakawa and translated by Philip Gabriel. 
And this is a book, I don't know why it keeps popping up on my Goodreads, but I just, uh, me and my daughter are reading it together. Aww. I'm reading it to her um, every night before bed. I know she's she's like 11, but I sometimes we like to, you know, read together. And we recently got a kitten. And so uh, me and my daughter are all, all about the cats. Yeah. So we're reading this book. It's, it's, it's delightful and a good read along, you know, but read aloud. And then the other book is Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner and uh it's interesting because I wasn't going to read this book but it keeps coming up I I Um, think I've heard of this yeah I'm sure because it's like a New York Times bestseller but she is uh her band is called Japanese Breakfast oh yes yes and and I'm a fan so um I started reading the book and uh it's it's fantastic I mean you know it it is crying in H Mart she talks about her uh Korean mother passing Mm. away okay gosh at like age 54 oh wow which i'm closer to than age 34 so that was kind of weird sobering yeah very sobering but it's it's very well written oh and she's just wonderful it's just is it a memoir it's a memoir oh okay yep awesome We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we'll be discussing chapters three and four from Culturally Responsive Teaching and Music Education from Understanding to Application by Constance McCoy and Vicki R. Lind. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.